Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. We'll be talking to someone who, after getting his own second chance, is helping others to get second chances as well. And we're going to talk about dread and how we can cope with it. All that and more right here on the Gifted Life. Hang on to your hats. Here on The Gifted Life, we are so excited to introduce you to two of our friends. We have Craig Smith and Francesca Ferranti joining us. How are you guys? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, we're going to tell you how these guys work together to make life happen. Craig, I want to start with you. Uh, You have been directly impacted by donation, right? Uh, That's right. All right, so tell us your story. You are a recipient. I'm a recipient. So in 2000. 14, at the age of 26, I was uh, suddenly diagnosed with viral cardiomyopathy. It came on pretty quickly. It was a completely unexpected diagnosis. Um, but I, I went into the hospital. I was living in State College, Pennsylvania at the time. was diagnosed with viral cardiomyopathy and told that I would most likely need a transplant in order to survive. So the first action uh, was they gave me, I went to Pittsburgh at Allegheny General Hospital, and they implanted a left ventricular cyst device. And they were really hoping that with my age and overall health, that that may enable my heart to kind of rebound and I wouldn't need the transplant. But after a few months, it became apparent that my heart was too badly damaged from the cardiomyopathy. So they put me on the transplant waiting list in October of 2014. And I had the LVAD for another year after that. And then in October, October 16th of 2015, I was lucky enough to get my second chance and get my new heart. So, uh, so that LVAD, of course, you know, for, for those of you listening, is, it's a left ventricular assist device. It, it just helps the heart pump a little bit stronger while, you know, while obviously Craig was waiting in this time. Uh, I, my question to you, Craig, is, is what were your expectations? Or you, did you have any as far as getting that second uh, chance at life? Did you, were, you, were you kind of feeling doom and gloom that it would never happen? Or was it something that you felt would be really short and then in obviously in comparison to the one year that you waited yeah so you know i I think my personality certainly helps in that type of situation i'm kind of an optimist in most situations so i I can't really say that i had too many doom and gloom days um when i when i had the lvad implanted i'm kind of a stubborn person also so i kind of made it my mission to not let the lvad affect my life more than it had to now obviously you have a, a medical fanny pack attached to it. It's going to change your life in some fashions. Um, But even with the LVAD, I went hiking, I went fishing, I went to sports events, I went to concerts. I really tried to do as much as I could. So I really kind of thrived on the LVAD as much as I, as much as, you know, was possible given the circumstances. But even with somebody that was doing well, you know, obviously it changed my life and the fact that I had to start taking all kinds of medications and I had to constantly have extra batteries with me and be aware of whether I had a cell phone signal in case the hospital would call me and, and things like that. So when you're waiting for the transplant, you know, even if things are going well from a medical perspective, you definitely just kind of have this feeling hanging over your head that you're, you're waiting, your life is on pause and you're waiting for that transplant, that next step. 
before you can really get on with your life and, and, and do what you want to do. So from that perspective, and just from, you know, obviously being alive, the transplant was an incredible, incredible blessing to, to have that second chance and to, to really help me put in perspective how lucky I was um, to, to, to have such a good process through my waiting time and to ultimately come out on the other end better off. And now, you know, obviously I'm trying to, trying to give back and help other people achieve that same, that same goal. And can you tell us if you've ever reached out to your donor family or um, your experience with that? Yeah, I reached out to my donor family about three years ago now. I wrote them a letter and CORE helped facilitate that. And I they sent it off to the family. And at this point, I haven't heard back, which I completely understand. You know, through my, through my experience working with organ donation, I've met many donor families. And some of them will tell you it's an absolute blessing to, to know they're, they're recipient of their family or their loved one and other family members just kind of want to put it behind them. And I understand both perspectives, but you know, with the way it works that both parties have to be amicable to, to making that connection and reaching out. I certainly wanted to be the one that opened that door and would allow the possibility of communication and maybe even meeting in the future. If the, if the donor family uh, would also want that from their side. Mm-hmm. Craig, obviously, I mean, we can just hear your passion um, for donation, and we love that you want to pay it forward. You want to save more lives. Here on The Gifted Life, we talk about one person making a difference. Uh, you actually took action to do that in creating your own nonprofit. So tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that, uh, your motivation, your mission. Yeah, so I, I had such a good experience with my own transplant and, and the recovery period and everything after that. So it, it became quite apparent from an early on standpoint that I, I wanted to you know, try to use my own personal gifts and skill sets to, to make a difference to the cause overall. So about six months after my transplant, my best friend and I, we started planning a 5K. And at that point, I was so unknowledgeable about the organ donation, um, you know, the field and the industry that I, I wasn't even sure who the recipient organization was going to be from the 5K. I reached out to both CORE, our local OPO, and Donate Life because I just didn't even understand how that system worked and the interactions. So we started planning a 5K to, to raise money for awareness. And we just started having all these other fun ideas. Well, what if we did a cornhole tournament? What if we did a golf tournament? It came apparent to us that we had so many more ideas and, and things that we wanted to do that we decided just to form our own nonprofit. So we formed Second Chance Fundraising in March of 2016. We held our first event, which was our inaugural 5K that August. And the the reception that we got for our first race just blew us out of the water. I was, I was hopeful that we would get maybe a hundred participants at the first race. I said that I would consider that a a big success. We ended up with about 300 participants for that first race. And we run out these small festival grounds and we have food and music and giveaways. So it's kind of a whole day. And it was, it was really great. And it was a really confidence building kickoff to second chance. So since then, over the last four years, we've held four or five Ks, held three different golf tournaments. We have done um, a cornhole tournament. We used to do a bowling event every winter. And we just do various events. And, and the whole gist behind it is I want to get people together and talking about organ donation because anybody who works in the organ donation field knows that one of the biggest hurdles to awareness is just getting people to talk about it. It is a, is a subject that people don't like to discuss. It makes them uncomfortable. And even if they share your viewpoints, they still might not want to discuss it. So I think it's really important to start that dialogue and have healthy conversations with people 
about organ donation. That way they can learn the facts because there's so many myths out there about it. So our, our, our mission is to just have fun events to get the community together. And at the same time, we try to raise some money and, and put it towards good causes that maybe we're not able to do ourselves. So in that regard, CORE has become a great partner of us. We donate the 5K funds to CORE every year. And once I moved to Pittsburgh a few years ago, um, I became, you know, really close with CORE and their staff. And it gave me uh, an ability to get out and even do even more than I was. So I've spent a lot of time since then in hospitals and schools and all over the place sharing my story and talking about donation and just being able to really engage in the community, which is, you know, that's my personality. That's what I love doing. And if, if it's helping to, to raise awareness for a good cause, then even better. Well, Craig, I, I definitely would like to commend you for everything you've done. You know, of course, getting your second chance and then starting the second chance fundraising as you did. And, uh, and you know, I can tell you from a firsthand experience, I didn't know what local was, you know, back, you know, in the day. And I was a nurse. And mm-hmm. it's so hard to understand how these, you know, UNOS and AOPO and CORE and Donate Life, you know, kind of kind of fit together. It took, it took a while for even me. To figure that out, I have to say, I uh, I have come across many of your colleagues or many of the, the colleagues there at, at Core, and that is definitely a well-run organization. Brian Brick, Bricker is a is a friend of mine, and uh, and I always uh, lean on those guys to uh, to help us. You know, we like to share a lot of a lot of ideas there, uh, and of course, in meeting from from you and meeting a lot of their employees, of course, you then got to uh, to meet Francesca. And I would pronounce her name here in Cajun country, Ferrant, but as I understand, it's uh, very confusing. It's Ferrante or <laughs> Ferrante. Ferrante. That's it. We're working on it. Yeah. So, so Francesca, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences when you first met Craig and, and of course, the, the whole college, core college challenge? Yeah. So it's actually pretty interesting because right around the time that Craig was really getting involved with CORE was actually when I got hired at CORE. So we both kind of joined at the same time. And so I've had so many opportunities to work with Craig as my primary role is working with youth to educate them on organ donation. So Craig has just been absolutely amazing with just, you know, sharing his story and with Second Chance Fundraising. They were able to donate, as he had mentioned, they donate their proceeds from the 5k to core and so craig decided that he really wanted to do something special because he had donated so much money over the last couple years and so he had come up with the idea to create a college challenge and so we are on coming up on the third year we just well we were supposed to have the third year but then everything happened and so we did delay the challenge until next year but we have done it for two years so far, and it has just been so successful in raising awareness on college campuses through different activities, awareness tables. They host special events, post on social media, and then we even had, I think last year, we had over 250 new registrations just from this three-week-long, or how many weeks is it, Craig? It usually ran from the the second week of February through blue and green day so april 13th 14th oh, okay. somewhere around there so it's usually about seven weeks oh okay so seven weeks about two months long and just by having i think last year we had 10 schools involved this year we had 
Uh, we did it as a statewide campaign this year, but we have just seen such great results and awareness, and it really is making a difference in these communities. We can see the designation rates are going up. We are getting reach, people from these colleges are reaching out to us, professors asking for more resources so they can educate in their classes instead of just around campus. And it really has just evolved into something so amazing to raise awareness all over Pennsylvania and West Virginia and our service area. So what do y'all think is working the most in this program? So definitely the fact that we do have funding to provide giveaways to these college students for awareness, because I mean, if you see a campus tabling event, you think, oh, you know, this is interesting, but whenever, you know, everyone has these matching shirts with a big Donate Life logo on them. That really draws people in. You see the green bracelets, you see highlighters, pens, things like that, that really draw the students in. I think that that has been a really, really big thing because, you know, we can go to community events and everything and try to raise awareness, but in college, what do kids want? Free stuff. So by having Craig donate that money to, so we're able to purchase all those giveaways for this challenge and then also purchasing tabletop posters and banners that they can also display has really helped with the awareness of the challenge. I think one of the other really positive things about the challenge and what makes it successful is the fact that these are these are peers. These are other college students that are running these campaigns and communicating with their colleagues and their friends because we can do a lot of community events. But when when college kids see me and Francesca standing behind the table in our, our business suits and, uh, you know, they don't know if we're selling life insurance or, or what we're doing behind the table. So <laughs> to see a group of college kids there and seeing them passionate about a cause, it's a lot easier to, for the other college students to relate and start those conversations. And again, those are conversations they might not otherwise have. So I think it's just a lot easier to open that dialogue that way. I'm listening to you guys and I'm thinking, oh, my heart is so full. But Craig, your, mm-hmm. your donated heart must be so full that this Yeah, I idea... got all that extra room now in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but this simple idea of wanting to pay it forward, wanting to educate, wanting to save more lives, and then teaming with CORE, uh, the Center for Organ Recovery and Education, has now turned into this uh, great program that's really moving the needle when it comes to registration. So um, for you, what is that like? Yeah, I think it's great. I think anybody who kind of gets into a role where they want to give back, it's it's you get that fulfilling feeling just from getting out in the community and, and, and feel like you're making a difference. But to do a program that you can kind of see tangible results, you know, we can like Francesca mentioned, we can see the designation rates go up. We can see how many um, people are wearing the shirts that we might give out around campus. Uh, the first event we did was uh, actually at my I, I got my graduate degree at St. Francis University in Loretto. And I reached out to them to just do an awareness table and they kind of took it and ran with it. We ended up doing uh, a Q&A session with some of the nursing students there. And then we had an awareness table in their cafeteria around dinner time. And in an hour's time, we signed up about 50 people to be new donors. I mean, that's just an incredible number of people making that pledge in that short amount of time. So that is what really showed us that, wow, maybe this is an area that is worth exploring and and figuring out if we can start reaching these kids at a younger age in college where they are more open to to dialogue and and learning about new things. And that's kind of really how it started. And um, I was I was fortunate enough to have core behind me with this process. So. Um, Francesca and the rest of her staff really 
helped develop the program so it was sustainable and and organized going forward and it wasn't just you know me and one other person or so trying to trying to make these make these impacts on the community so francesca i'm out in the community as well i work with our um volunteers uh we go on on campuses and things and i think um having the testimonial having a craig to walk them through like that work so uh talk about that magic when he's there saying you, you probably can't tell but i have been impacted and this is important um and the attention that that gets yeah, so I always ask teachers for feedback after any sort of presentation, even if it would just be if Craig would go on a presentation on his own, you know, I always feel like we get feedback to, you know, make sure that we're recognizing our volunteers for all the great work they're doing. And one thing that I always notice whenever Craig is doing something, I always get the, oh, you know, we absolutely loved having him here. Can he come back again next year? Like people love having that real connection because they say, you know, during the presentation, people don't even realize that he is a heart recipient until he mentions it, which is just speaks to how amazing transplantation is that, you know, he looks just like anyone else, but he's had this amazing gift. And so I do all, especially with like the college students and the high school students, I love for Craig to come along because you know he was in his 20s whenever he received his transplant. And so that's something that people can really relate to, seeing that it doesn't just happen to people who are older, which is obviously a huge misconception that a lot of people think is that it's always the older population. But Craig is a perfect example of someone who, you know, didn't previously have any health problems, didn't realize what was happening, and just kind of speaks to the fact that it can happen to anyone. And that's why we all really need to start talking about it because you, you know, you never know, you might meet someone who this has also happened to. Uh, I love it. Here on the podcast, we say, go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Well, Craig just walked out and did it. And then it sounds like really quickly after after transplant, which we love. So, Craig, I know a lot of folks will be um, wanting to support you, learn more about you. Um, so if you could both just walk us through, how do we find you? How do we keep up with these amazing um, adventures that you guys are going on? Yeah, so we're certainly on all social media. We have uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'd say we're most active on, on Facebook and Instagram. And then we also have a website. It's just secondchancefundraising.org. And on there, you can find um, you know upcoming events that we're doing. We have a few different shirts and things that we sell in our store to, to help support the cause. But more importantly, it's just a, you know, a way to connect and follow what we're doing. We try to do a lot in the communities, and we like to upload those pictures and videos. Um, and just, you know, connect with people and, and spread the good news about organ donation. Miss Francesca? Yes. All right. Tell us how to find you guys and more information. All right. So to find us at CORE, we also have social media on all of our platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at CORE Donate Life. And our website is CORE.org. And again, like Craig said, we have so many different resources on there. But um, we also have testimonials, anything, any sort of resources that people could use in classrooms or in their community. And one thing I did want to mention that Craig actually did not mention is if you do go on to Second Chance Fundraising or CORE's Instagram, you will find Pumper the Heart. Craig, if you want to talk a little bit about that, I feel like that's one of the most important things you do. Yeah, so part of the, one of the best things that we, we do with Second Chance is I had the idea to get a mascot. So our mascot is Pumper the Heart. It's just a big foam heart. And it's usually, say, 95% of the time, it's me wearing Pumper because I think that kind of <laughs> adds to the mystique that a, a transplant recipient is in the costume. Um, but 
we just we love getting out there in the community with pumper I, I i walk our 5k every year as pumper i went to the transplant games two years ago as pumper and did things out there and i, I think it's just a really easy way to make those conversations again you know people people try to avoid when you approach people in the community to ask them oh are you an organ donor do you know about organ donation lots of times they might try to skirt by you but um, it's pretty hard to avoid a giant smiling heart and usually puts people <laughs> in a very uh, easy attitude whenever you start having those conversations and um, you know one, one of the best things that we've done one of the, the most proud things i am of second chance since we started it is two years ago actually i wanted to show people that like Francesca said, you know, transplant patients, they can, you, you can't tell their transplant patients. Um, but I think a lot of people have this misconception that transplant patients are sick or feeble or can't really live their life. So I wanted to try to put that to rest. So we organized a video campaign two years ago to show that transplant patients can get out in the community and they can, they can live their life and do anything they want to do even, you know, just as much as they weren't a transplant patient. So all summer throughout 2018, I dressed up as Pumper and we did all kind of crazy and wacky activities. I went whitewater rafting, cliff jumping, nice. <laughs> um, rode roller coasters. I played roller derby. Like I said, I was out of the transplant games and I did all that in the Pumper costume. And it was just a really fun summer. And I think it really got the message at point, uh, the point across that, you know, we're, we're not held back by our transplantation at the, at the complete opposite. Our transplants have given us a complete another chance at life. So I think it's uh, important to encourage people to know that and to take advantage of it. Uh, I love that. And then, um, Craig, one more thing before we, we wrap up. We have lots of um, recipients here and they, they want to do something, but sometimes it's things that are outside of their comfort zone, like they don't know if they could do a race or start a nonprofit. Um, so what words of encouragement would you give for those recipients who do want to pay it forward, um, who do want to make a mark, honor their their hero, um, just that drive, that mission, that passion? Yeah, I think it's important to figure out what you're good at and what what different ways that you can make a difference. Uh, you know, me, I'm, I'm a people person and I love organizing events. So for me, it was um, it was no question that I was probably going to start an organization and start holding events like that. But, you know, other people might just be really good at speaking and like doing public speaking and they can get out at, at hospitals and, and colleges and in the community and talking to people. And then, you know, there's so many other jobs. I know there's so many volunteers that I work with through CORE that might just come into CORE's office and help them with things around the office and, and or they might go to the hospital while during celebrations like flag raising and things like that. There's so many options to get out there. And I think the point is to just do whatever you're comfortable with. But I think it's important for people to do something because it's such an important cause. And as the recipients, we know that we wouldn't be here without it. So I think it's important to, to find your niche and to, you know, help spread that good news so that other people can get the second chance that we have. I love it, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to spread the word, to encourage us, um, to share what's going on where you are. So uh, Craig Smith with Second Chance Fundraising, Francesca with CORE. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Sarah, what are we diving into today? So today we're going to talk about dread. 
there's been a lot of research done recently on what dread does to us. So that's what we're going to talk about. So what really is dread? So when we're talking about dread, what we mean is our physical and emotional symptoms to something that we are not looking forward to. So that could be different things. Like if you're going to the doctor and you're getting results from a scan, um, you know, those pesky little texts when you get, hey, we need to talk. What happens when that we feel dread, right? So that's what mm -hmm. we're talking about. I'm those feelings. Now, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, what, what we're going to say is, so when you are looking forward to something positive, whether that's a trip or a really good conversation, you can be a little bit more patient. You don't have to distract yourself from it, right? But what if you're expecting something that you're dreading? What if it's a phone call from your doctor? What researchers have found recently is that your emotional reaction to something you're dreading mirrors the actual feelings of when that news comes. Does that make sense? Yeah, so essentially, yeah. so essentially, if you are dreading, if you're about to get a phone call from your doctor and you are worried that you're going to get bad news and that you're going to have to do treatments, what your body does is mimics those feelings of what the treatments could be like. So it causes a lot of anxiety and what they call, you know, that those pins and needles, right? Mm -hmm. Those feelings of anxiousness, those nerves. So our brains tell us that it's happening now instead of happening later. So it's harder and we want to slow it down and not receive that news. And I feel this to my core. I feel it now. But my biggest uh, telltale sign is my breathing. And then I physically mm -hmm. like I recognize, okay, so calm down like i have to tell them, calm down and then you know we have these new smart watches and so it's mm -hmm. with me and it tells you to breathe and i was like that's not helping but i'm trying, <laughs> i'm trying to breathe but i get exactly what you, like i feel it right now yeah i get, right. I get a little chest pain like i'll get anxiety and i'll uh, you know if i know there's something major coming up tomorrow or that that is going to be a challenge for me in, in whatever form mine manifests itself kind of a little bit of, of chest pain, a little bit of shortness of breath. Like I can feel it, you know, physically, it feels like more than even emotionally. Right. Yeah. So the anticipation of pain triggers that same response of the experience of actual pain. So with that being said, what can we do? We got to use those coping skills that we know so well that we talk about so well, right? We have to take some calming deep breaths. I know, Joey, you mentioned your breathing will spike. You'll feel some chest pains. You need to do some really good calming deep breaths. You need to remind yourself that everything's going to be okay. Remind yourself of those supports. Reach out for support and just get through it. You know, we just have to use those same coping skills that we would in the actual event when we're anticipating the event. So should I use my coping skill that I learned in COVID of wine? <laughs> yes. And yeah. as I always say, as long as the couple of glasses of wine don't turn into a couple bottles of wine, you're okay. <laughs> okay. Yep. So really just to wrap it all up, I think, you know, a big point is that how many times have we heard like you want the bad news first and then the good news second? So what we can do is distract ourselves, use those good coping skills of distracting, taking deep breaths to prepare ourselves for when the actual event happens. And we'll get through it and make sure you remind yourself of all those supports that you have. And I have to remember to breathe. 
so I don't have short, shortness of breath. <laughs> and I'll continue to work on that, but that's good. I mean, I'm glad I'm not the only one, right? Sometimes you feel like it's just you. So I like that, Sarah. Maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover, info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero comes to us from our partners at CORE. Our hero is Matthew Christie, and we learn about Matthew from his mother, Wendy. Matthew was kind, smart, passionate, and creative. His friends describe him as loyal and always willing to lend a hand or make them smile when they needed it the most. Unfortunately, at the age of 24, Matthew was involved in a tragic accident and passed away a few days later. Matthew became an organ donor because of a talk we had when it was time to get his driver's license. I was always an advocate for organ donation, but the loss of my son strengthened my advocacy. I am a volunteer with CORE and have been speaking at high schools and local hospitals about the importance of organ donation in honor of Matthew. I was able to meet the recipient of Matthew's heart, Ronnie, and was able to listen to Ronnie's new heart. Matthew lives on in his gifts to others. And now we pause and say thank you to Matthew for the gift of life. In today's question and answer segment, this one, Laurie, is for you. Hmm? I see college students involved with donation on social media. How can I get my school and class involved? I am so excited to receive this question. And yes, I too see college students on social media and we love it. They are influencers, right? Uh, so some that we have come into contact uh, may work for a brand, a company in that certain area. And so we kind of mimic that. Um, if they can push a product, why can't they push our mission of making life happen, right? So we arm them with the facts and then they march out and tell their friends and hopefully their friends tell their friends, right? That ripple effect. And we love that. Um, and so what I would suggest is contacting your organ procurement organization, your OPO. Um, and if Louisiana, if you're in Louisiana and you contact me, I will do a cheer. You're right, Joey, Sarah, you know that. <laughs> I will. I was yes, I um, it's so exciting. So if you don't know how to find your uh, organ procurement organization where you are, go to aopo.org. That's the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations. So aopo.org. And there's a drop down that says find your OPO. So click on your state and get that contact information. So here we're flexible. What talents do you have? What connections do you have that we can use? Um, on our campuses here in Louisiana, uh, we team with the mass comm departments, nursing, PRSSA, journalists. So people from different walks of life, and they want to help us make life happen. And so we utilize their talents as they come to us. And so that's what I would suggest. Call, reach out, have that conversation, because I know um, folks across the country, we want you on our team. We appreciate you reaching out, and we will use your talents to help save more lives. Great answer. Uh, do you have a question for us that you would like us to answer on the podcast? Go ahead and email us at info at thegiftedlife.org, or you can give us a call at 504-648-3477. Thank you for listening, everyone. And if you're not registered as an organ, eye, and tissue donor, you can do that now. Registerme.org. Also, a very special thank you to Craig Smith for turning his second chance at life into the second chance fundraising. 
And then taking that a step further and teaming up with CORE and Francis Ferrant there and to initiate the CORE College Challenge that they've done. It's been amazing. I know. We love uh, our partners and that they take the time to visit us here on The Gifted Life. The best place to find us, that episode, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to all of our episodes on our website, or you can listen to them on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and subscribe so others can find the podcast. And we're on all social media. Like our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Please share what you heard here today on The Gifted Life. Our goal is to make life happen. You're part of our team. And we do hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. You can do it. Have a great one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.